Welcome to TBA. So glad you're here today. My name is Brian Legg. I'm one of the pastors on our lead pastor team. So glad that you can be a part of this special day. Today really is special because we're going to be celebrating baptism today. And it's, baptism is that great picture of new birth that happens when someone comes to Christ. And you're going to get to hear a little bit of those people's stories this afternoon as, as they do that at the, at the end of our service. And so I'm glad that you can be here to celebrate with us. We are continuing our series this morning. Um, and, and the title of our series is It Is Written, or Text, as you can see in front of you. And this morning we're specifically going to talk about the idea of being washed in the Word. But before we jump into that, I want to take some time just to kind of recap where we've been going over the last few weeks. The series has been building week in and week out um, on the last topic. And so I don't know if you're like me, but I, I sometimes have trouble remembering what I ate for breakfast last week or yesterday even. And so it's good to always go back and kind of recap. Or maybe you've missed a week. Just want to make sure that you're still with us. So three weeks ago, Stivey kicked us off. And he was challenging us about allowing our faith to grow, growing up in God's Word. Um, and you might remember that we talked about the difference between milk and steak. Talked about how we can't just be bottle-fed our whole lives. At some point, we have to grow up and allow God's Word to be that nourishment that we need. We start eating real food and start taking in better food, and we learn and grow from that. And one of the main things that he said that day that really has become a connecting point for each week of our series was talking about how we are made uniquely in the image of God. We're made just like the Trinity, three parts, yet one. And those parts are spirit, soul, and body. And he told us about how our spirit is redeemed when we come to Christ, and that's something that happens immediately. How our soul is being redeemed, we're in the process of that, and we've been talking about that each week. And then how our bodies will be redeemed one day when we're with Christ in eternity. And so we're going to keep building off of that again today. The next week, um, I took us to Psalm 109, verse 105, or excuse me, Psalm 119, Verse 105, and it's the verse that talks about your word is a lamp for my feet and a light for my path. And we talked about how important it is to allow God's word to give us direction in our life, to be able to point out the next few steps for us. But we also talked about the importance of taking in God's light on a regular basis by reading his word over and over and over and how that allows us to be the reflectors that we need to be of his light. And then last week we celebrated Mother's Day, and a lot of you were able to be here and get your family pictures, and I've seen those springing up, and that's been exciting to see. Some of you got some really cool pictures. And uh, Dave was talking to us last week about the idea of God's Word being fire. And honestly, last week's message was a little tougher because it wasn't so pretty and packaged so nice. It's hard to to listen to. It's hard to, to take in. But there were two main points, and it was important that we hear them. And the first thing was that God's Word can be a refiner's fire in our life. It can be the fire that that is removing all of the impurities. And the problem is when it's removing those impurities, a lot of times it's not easy. A lot of times walking through the fire is tough because God's changing things in us. But the second thing that it can be is it can be a fire of destruction or a consuming fire. And it's that fire that when we're rejecting God, when we're turning away from Him and walking away, that there will be judgment because He won't stand in the face of sin. And so while it was a hard message, it was a good one that we needed to hear. And so now this morning we're going to start with this idea of God's Word washing us, cleansing us. And I'm going to take you to kind of an unusual place to kick this off. We're going to start in Ephesians chapter 5 today. And this is where Paul is talking to the church at Ephesus about marriage. And you would go, well, why are we going to start talking about marriage if we're talking about being washed in the Word? Well, let me show you. I think it will make sense to you. But the big thing is that marriage is the word picture that is used throughout Scripture to paint a picture of the relationship between Christ and His church, between Him and us. And He uses that to define that relationship many times. So Ephesians chapter 5 Verses 25 to 27. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy 
and blameless. Christ gave His life for you and I, for His church, anyone who's chosen Him and made Him Lord and Savior in their lives to make us holy and clean. And notice how it says He did that. It was through the washing with water through the Word. It was a picture of washing. He washed us and made us clean. See, water is used throughout Scripture to symbolize both God's Word and to symbolize the Holy Spirit. And I'm not going to take a lot of time this morning to to walk you through that whole journey of what that looks like because there's some really deep and neat stuff when you talk about that correlation between God's Word and the Holy Spirit. But I want to give you a little bit of context so that you understand how they work together. And this will kind of set up where we're going today. Picture it like this. Think about when you take a shower. You take a shower so that you can clean yourselves, right? I mean, it's kind of hard to get clean if you're doing a dry bath. Think about, like, if you go in the hospital and, you know, you're having surgery or something and you're not able to take a shower and they come in and they give you that sponge bath, do you feel very clean when that's over? Not really. I mean, it's better than nothing. I mean, it's nice just to to have something to clean you, but but it feels so much better when you can get in the shower and that water runs over you and it rinses your body and it, it cleans all that stuff away from you. And that's kind of what God's Word is like. It's like that shower water running over us. But see, we've learned over the last few weeks how the Holy Spirit directly corresponds to God's Word because the Holy Spirit will use God's Word to speak to us many times. And even a few weeks ago, we talked about how the Holy Spirit, one of its jobs, one of its ministries is to remind us of God's Word. That's in John 14. And it helps us to change the way we think, to renew our mind, Romans 12. So think of it like this. If God's Word is the water that's coming out of the shower spigot, that's washing over us to cleanse us, then the Holy Spirit's kind of like the valve that's controlling that water. It controls the pressure that you get. It can be a little harder or it can be a little softer. It controls the temperature. It can be hotter or it can be colder. And basically that that valve will adjust the water so that you get exactly what you need to be cleaned. And that's how the Holy Spirit and God's words work together so often. This past week I was reading in John MacArthur's commentary about this passage in Ephesians. And there were a couple paragraphs that just jumped out at me. And I don't normally do this, but I just want to read them to you this morning so that you can hear what he said. It kind of sets up where we're going and gives a good overview. Here's his words. Divine love does not simply condemn wrong in those love, but it seeks to cleanse them from it. Christ's great love for his church does not allow him to be content with any sin, any moral or spiritual impurity in it. God tells his people... Though your sins are as scarlet, they will be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they will be like wool. Isaiah 1.18 He cast the sins of his forgiven children into the depths of the sea. Micah 7.19 And he forgives their iniquity and remembers their sin no more. Jeremiah 31.34 A believer is forgiven every sin in the moment he trusts in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. After that initial and full purification from sin, as Jesus explained to Peter as he washed his feet, Periodic cleansing is still necessary. He who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. John 13:10. As we continue to confess our sins, Christ is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 1 John 1, 9. The Word is the agent of the sanctification, reference Titus 3, 5. The objective of which is a blameless and holiness that makes us fit to be presented to Christ as his own beloved and eternal bride, to dwell in his glorious presence forever. Reference Revelation 21 through the end of the Bible. God is holy. God cannot look upon sin. He can't be in relationship where sin is present. It's why we see throughout the Old Testament that there were sacrifices made. Because when sin was present, it required the atonement for sin. And it required a sacrifice where blood was shed so that that sin could be atoned. 
And that's why the Jews would come and bring their sacrifice to the temple so that they could receive forgiveness of sin. But that's also why Jesus came to earth. And it's why he died the death of a criminal on a cross, because he was the perfect sacrifice for our sin. And he erased that need for us to go to the temple and make sacrifices. He erased the need for us to kill other animals and to present that blood as atonement. He was that offering for us. He was that perfect atonement for sin, the final sacrifice needed. And now all we have to do is accept his free gift of grace. All we have to do is come to him and confess and repent of our sins and invite him into our hearts, to invite him to live with us and walk with us. See, that's the picture we've been painting throughout as we talk about our spirit being redeemed. When we come to Christ, our spirit is redeemed eternally in that one moment by simply making that confession of faith and inviting him into our hearts. There's a theological word for this. It's called justification. And it's simply a picture of our sin and stains being removed by God, where God only sees the righteousness of Christ in us. And there's also a process theologically that that makes this justification happen. And that process is called imputation. And that's one of those words that can be really confusing, but it's very simple. It's a picture of our sin and guilt being transferred to Christ and Him taking our place to receive our punishment while we receive His righteousness being transferred to us, giving us right standing before God. You can see it a little bit like this. This is a picture of us walking through life, dirty and broken and sin and shame and guilt. We've got a mess in our lives. But when we come to Christ, we give to Christ all of our problems in life. He takes them and in its place, He gives us His righteousness. And it's perfect and it's clean. God sees this when He looks at Jesus. That's why He went to the cross and had to die. But when He looks at us, this is gone. And all He sees is the righteousness of Christ upon us. And we have right standing with Him, our spirit, has been redeemed. If you wanted to put it in common language to make it a little easier, it'd be a picture of something like this. You and I are condemned to the electric chair. But Jesus takes our place in the electric chair and he takes death for us. And we walk away with a record that's completely expunged, wiped clean. Nobody knows anything was ever on it. No parole, no probation, no problems. You don't have to report it at your next job interview. It's gone. Clean slate. Done. That's the process of justification. That's what imputation looks like. Jesus takes that on, and it's this picture of washing, of cleansing that he does for us. It's the cleansing of our spirit. And it's what Jesus was referring to when he was washing the disciples' feet in John 13. You heard a while ago as John MacArthur referred to that. It's such a great picture there. And I love the encounter that happens between Peter and Jesus. Go with me, John 13, verses 7 through 11. Jesus replied, you don't understand now what I'm doing, but someday you will. No, Peter protested, you will never wash my feet. And Jesus replied, unless I wash you, you won't belong with me or won't belong to me. Simon Peter exclaimed, then wash my hands and my head as well, Lord, not just my feet. But Jesus replied, a person who has bathed all over does not need to wash except for the feet to be entirely clean. And you disciples are clean, but not all of you. For Jesus knew who would betray him. And that is what he meant when he said, not all of you are clean. Look at what Jesus said here. Unless I wash you, you won't belong to me. He's referring to the washing of our spirit here. He's referring to that process of justification, that cleansing that happens where we belong to him. It's that one time that our spirit is redeemed and we've been bathed all over. And it's the picture of the cleansing of our spirit that gives us right standing with God. 
See, in the Old Testament, when the Jews would come to give their sacrifice to God for atonement for sin, they saw themselves as being unclean as they would come, and they had to go through a, a ritual process, a bathing process, that would cleanse them before they could stand before God and come into the temple. And so they would go down into what I'll call kind of a pit, but it was, it was a mikvah was the name of it, and they would walk down into it, and it was kind of like the baptistry that we would have today where they would walk down into this body of water that had been carved out of the rock, and they would dip themselves completely into that water and come up, and they had this ritual they walked through, and then they would come back up out of the mikvah, and at that point they were ceremonially clean. They could go to the temple. They could offer their sacrifices to God and stand before him. And that's the same word that Jesus is using here when he says, you've all been washed. You've been cleaned. It's the same word that we use for baptism. It paints that picture of immersion. But see, when Christ died on the cross, he became that ultimate sacrifice for us. We're now seen as clean. We don't have to go through that cleansing ritual in order to stand before God because we have right standing with God because of what Christ did for us. We no longer have to go to the temple and offer our sacrifices because he was the perfect sacrifice. Hebrews 10:22 says it like this. Let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. For our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean. And our bodies have been washed with pure water. We are clean because of Christ's sacrifice. And that's why when we make a decision for Christ and we choose to follow him, we're baptized only once. Because that's just a sign, a symbol, a picture of what Christ has already done with us, within us. It's that picture of the cleansing that happens in our spirit, the redemption, justification. But I want you to notice what Jesus goes on to talk about. Because he doesn't stop there. He goes on to talk about you're clean, but yet your feet need to be washed. Your feet need to be washed. You are completely clean. A person who has bathed all over does not need to wash except for the feet. And why does he make that distinction? Why does he point that out? Well, the obvious practical piece is in Jesus' day, they would walk from place to place. Everywhere they went, they walked. And they wore these really thin, sandal, flip-flop kind of shoes on their feet to protect them just a little bit. But they were walking through dust and through dirt and through mud all the time. It was a desert-like area. It's kind of like Florida when it hasn't rained in a while. I was telling them in the last service, like this yesterday, I cut my grass. And I've got big dogs, so when my dogs run around the backyard and we haven't had much rain, the grass disappears and it's just sand everywhere. And you run across that to knock down a few weeds that are left with the mower, and it's like a dust bowl. I mean, there's just dirt everywhere. Well, that's what it was like that they were walking on all the time. You know how you walk through dirt and sand and it just the dust gets all over your feet and it's nasty? He's saying, you need to have your feet clean. Yes, you bathed, you took a bath before you came tonight, but you also need your feet cleaned. And Jesus was going far beyond the physical picture as he was talking to them here, he's talking to them in a spiritual sense. You are clean. Your spirit is clean, but yet you need that constant cleansing to be going on in your life. You know, it's kind of interesting that Jesus was the one doing the washing of the feet anyway. Because when you look at those times, it was normal to have your feet washed. It was normal for you to wash your feet, actually. You would come into someone's home, and because of the dust and dirt on your feet, you would customarily wash your feet as you went into the house. Kind of like you and I might kick off our tennis shoes as we go in somewhere because we don't want to track across the carpet and make a mess. So they would come in and they would wash their feet or they might have a servant at the home that would wash their feet for them. That was a great act of hospitality. But never would the master of the house, never would a rabbi stoop to washing your feet. That was either something you did on your own or it was a picture of something a servant would do with you. And here Jesus is kneeling and he's washing their feet He's taking the position of a slave before them because he wants it to be a teaching moment. He's not just saying to them, you need your feet cleaned. He's saying, I'm the one that cleans your feet. 
I'm the one that brings this cleansing to you. I think it's illustrated best in Titus chapter 3, verses 4 and 5. MacArthur referred to this a while ago, but these passages really correlate well. And here's your, here I missed one of your entries. If you need your, your words in the blank, there you go. We're washed, our spirit is cleansed when we're justified by Christ. Baptism is a picture of that. Titus chapter 3, verses 4 and 5. But when God our Savior revealed His kindness and love, He saved us, not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. He washed away our sins. Pay attention here. He washed away our sins. And now He makes two distinctions, giving us a new birth and a new life through the Holy Spirit. Giving us new birth and new life. Paul's making two very specific distinctions here. And this is where you're going to see the connection back to the John 13 passage. He says that Christ washed our sins, and he did, but he paints two very different pictures of what that washing looked like. The first one is the same one that Christ was referring to when he says, you've already been bathed, you're clean. And it's a picture of complete washing, that justification that we're talking about. It's the new birth that he says here, salvation. The word that he used here to describe the washing is the same word that symbolizes baptism. It's the same word that was used as the Jews would walk through the mikvah to be clean. They would ceremonially dip themselves and cleanse themselves before they went to the temple. It's that picture of emerging of a, a full cleansing, a bath that happens. And that is where our spirit is redeemed. But then the second distinction is like this. Paul says, you also will receive new life through the Holy Spirit. This is the NLT translation. Some other translations say it's a renewal. And in fact, when you go back to the Greek and you look at it, they got the verb tense wrong. It really should say it's a renewing. It's this picture of an ongoing process where you are renewed day in and day out as you walk with Christ. And it's a very different picture of washing. This is what Jesus was referring to when he was saying you need to have your feet washed. But he used a different word. It wasn't the same word that painted the picture of the bath or the baptism. It was a word that painted a picture of how they would ceremonially wash their hands and their feet when they would actually get to the temple. So there was kind of a two-step process for the Jews. They would go through the mikvah and they would do the ceremonial cleansing where they dipped their entire body into the water. And then when they would walk from there to the entrance to the temple, they would stop again and there would be a basin right outside the door where they would wash their hands and wash their feet just in case they had picked up anything unclean in between where they came out of the mikvah and where they got to the temple. And so it was that final washing that needed to happen to make sure that they were clean as they came into God's presence. And what is really happening here? Is Paul's painting a picture of something called sanctification. Paul's referring specifically to sanctification, which is an ongoing process of renewing and washing of our soul. Sanctification being set apart as holy, a process that is lifelong. The, re, the ongoing redemption of our soul. Remember the two pictures. Coming to Christ is the first picture. It's a picture of a bath. It's a picture of a complete cleansing to where your spirit is redeemed and you are made whole. It's that justification. But the second picture is one that is in process. It's ongoing. It's daily. It's happening constantly. It's a picture of our soul being redeemed, our mind, our will, and our emotions. It's what we're walking in every day on this journey with Christ. In Hebrews chapter 10, verses 12 through 14, it says it like this. But our high priest offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for sins, good for all time. Pay attention to what he's saying here. A single sacrifice, good for all time. There's the redemption of our spirit. Then he sat down in the place of honor at God's right hand, and there he waits until his enemies are humbled and made a footstool under his feet. Now listen to this. For by that one offering, by his death on the cross, by that one offering, he forever made perfect 
those who are being made holy. There's a very clear picture painted there. He forever made perfect. He justified us because of His sacrifice so that we could be made holy in an ongoing process with Him. And it's exactly what Jesus was saying to His disciples when He said, you're clean, but yet you need to wash your feet. You've had a bath before you've come here, but you need to wash the dirt that you picked up as you've been walking through the world. And He wasn't just referring to their physical feet. He was referring to their souls. And it's the same for you and me. We get dirt on our feet when we walk through the world. I tease my daughters all the time because they love to go barefoot. And I think it's just one of those traits of living in a redneck house with me. But they love to go everywhere barefoot. And I tease them all the time about they got Circle K feet. They come in and they sit down and they plop on the couch and they kick their feet up. And I'm like, oh my gosh, your feet are black as coal. They're nasty. You know, where have you been? And it's because they've been running around outside and running across our floor that hadn't been mopped enough apparently. And, and you see them sit down and it's nasty. And it doesn't matter if they've had a bath that day. Their feet look disgusting. They look like they haven't had a shower in weeks. And that's exactly what was going on here. And it's what happens in our lives. We come to Christ and we are cleansed. We are clean. We've had a bath. But we're still walking in a dirty and broken world where our feet get messy. And we pick up junk as we walk through it. And our feet need to be regularly washed in God's Word. Not a picture of the complete bath. That's happened. We've come to Him. We're standing right before God. We've been justified. He sees us as spotless. But yet there's that junk we pick up. And God's Word is the water that washes our feet. It's what cleanses us and helps us daily to wash away that dirt that we pick up as we walk in an unclean world. But how are we going to be washed How are we going to be cleansed? How are we going to be in that process of renewal if we never pick this up? If we're never reading His Word, if we're not allowing it to soak into us, if we're not allowing it to be the living water that He said it is for us, how is it going to make a difference? How is it truly going to cleanse us? God has given us His Word to accomplish His purpose in our lives if we allow it. Key phrase. If we allow it. And here we come back to the foundational struggle that we've had every week of this series. And it's why I look around the room and I often feel like I get the kind of the deer in the headlights look. Because statistically we're told that three-fourths of us, 75%, read our Bibles like four to six times a year. How is that impacting us? How can that wash our feet and keep us clean when we're walking through the world? How can it allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us and make a difference? God says that His Word will accomplish His purpose in our lives if we allow it. Watch what it says in Isaiah. The rain and snow come down from the heavens and stay on the ground to water the earth. They cause the grain to grow, producing seed for the farmer and bread for the hungry. And it is the same with my Word. I send it out and it always produces fruit. It will accomplish all I want it to and it will prosper everywhere I send it. God's Word will accomplish His purpose in our lives if we allow it. And only if we allow it. He's done His part. He's given us His Word. He's given us instructions. He's given us the love letter from Him. This is that piece of relationship for us. It's our connection. But when we don't pick it up, it does us no good. We have to soak it in and allow it to truly be God's living water in our lives 
quenching our thirst, sustaining us, cleansing us, pointing out the dirt that's collected on our feet, and then washing that away. God called his people out in the Old Testament through his prophet Jeremiah on this very subject. Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13. For my people have done two evil things. They have abandoned me, the fountain of living water, and they've dug for themselves a cracked cisterns that can hold no water at all. God's accusing his people here, the nation of Israel, turning away from him and turning away from his word to chase after idols. And he paints a very vivid picture if you understand it, because when he talks about him being the fountain of living water, he's painting a picture of a spring. When they would read the scripture, they understood that this was a picture of a fresh spring where there's constantly fresh water coming out of the ground and being replenished, and they can get all the good water they need from that spring. And he's saying, you're turning away from the spring, the fresh water that I'm supplying for you, and instead you're building your own cistern. See, in a lot of the places where they didn't have a lot of rain, they would build cisterns. They would carve this this big hole out of the rock, and they would literally carve it out of bedrock so that it would seal. But too many times because of the climate changes and the extreme heat and all the different things, those cisterns would end up cracking. And once the cistern cracked, all the water leaks out of it, and you can't hold water, and it's no good. And besides that, think about it. If you've got the choice between spring water, the fresh water coming out of the ground every day that you can drink from, or a cistern where you're collecting rainwater that's run off from somewhere and is stuck in this pit and is sitting there and it's stale and it's stagnant, which do you want? I don't want cistern water. I want a fresh spring. I want it to taste good. I want it to be fresh. But he's saying, you've turned away from me, the living water, the spring, and you've built your own cisterns and they're cracked and they're leaking and you're losing water. And what he's really accusing them of is saying, you're trying to be your own savior. You're trying to do it in your power instead of in mine. You're trying to do it in your strength instead of mine. I'm the living water, the fresh spring for you. But you're digging your own cisterns, trying to collect your own water. Don't we try to do the same thing in our own lives? Don't we try to be good enough? Even if we're living for Christ, even if we've committed our hearts to Him, don't we try to do it in our own strength? That's why we need a Savior. It's why we need Jesus. Even after we come to Him, we often get this warped sense of, I can do this on my own. I can live for Him in my own strength, but we can't. Or we come to Him and we think we've got to be perfect and have it all figured out, and we're not. None of us are perfect. The struggles are still there after we come to Christ. But thank God it's not us. It's not dependent on us. It's dependent upon Him. See, it's not us in our own strength, in our own strength redeeming our soul It's Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit and the washing of word in our lives, sanctifying us, setting us apart for his purposes, making us holy, redeeming our soul. I want you to stop and ponder something for a minute. Let's make it a little bit practical. What's some of the dirt that you pick up on your feet as you walk day in and day out in the world? What are some of the struggles that you face? Maybe there's relational struggles. Have any issues with your parents or maybe your spouse or your kids or things maybe not going so great? Or what about that coworker or your boss or just a friend? Everything going great in all those relationships? I'm sure your family's perfect. My family, we argue occasionally. We have problems. Sometimes we pick up some of that dirt. Think about it this way. What are some of the things that you're intentionally putting in your spirit or in your soul without realizing? 
What are you watching on TV? What are you listening to in your music? I have this argument all the time with my girls. You have no idea how that impacts you. Oh, Dad, we don't listen to the words. We just listen to the music. It's so good. I used to say the same thing to my parents. But the funny thing is the song starts and they sing all the words to me with the song. Hmm, yeah, you don't know all the words. You're right. What are we putting into our souls? Let me make it a little closer to home for some of you. What about social media things like Facebook or Instagram or Snapchat or Twitter? What drama are you being sucked into there? Ooh, just got personal for a few of you. What language are you reading in people's posts? What language are you posting? Is it reflective of God's light in your life? What videos or pictures are you looking at? What news stories are you following? What things are you seeing? What about movies, video games, news feeds? It's all stuff that's inputting into our soul. Whether we mean for it to or not, it is. And it's having an impact. What about sin? We all battle sin. We struggle with it. Things that trip us up easily in our daily lives. I mean, do you struggle with anger at all? Have you been frustrated with your family at all this past week? Have you been frustrated with a coworker? Have you had some kind of outburst because things didn't go your way? Or have you lost your patience? Struggling with some sort of addiction? Food? Pornography? Work? We don't often think about that one, do we? Being a workaholic, being addicted to being too busy, that can be a problem. Drugs, alcohol, all kinds of things. What about the things that maybe aren't so obvious? Is there pride creeping into your life? Or do you spend a lot of time searching for significance or value in all the wrong places? Wanting to be good enough or special enough by what you do or the things you say or where you go instead of trusting God for that? See, all these things are simple examples of how we pick up dirt as we walk in the world. We're not perfect. And our struggles don't change the fact that we are clean and we have come to Christ, but we need to be in that constant process of cleansing, of washing our feet, of allowing Him to cleanse us. We talk all the time around here at TBA about being the hands and feet of Jesus to our community and the world around us. And guess what happens when you live as the hands and feet of Jesus to the world? You get your hands and feet dirty. It doesn't change what Christ has done in you. It doesn't change the cleansing that has happened there. But you're going to get your hands and feet dirty if you're really being Christ to the world around you because you're going to walk in dirt, you're going to walk in brokenness, you're going to walk in junk all the time. And you're going to pick up some of that. And it's going to mess with you. Are you allowing His Word to cleanse you? I want to leave you with two questions to ponder this morning to consider. The first is this. Have you been washed? Have you experienced that new birth that Paul is talking about in Titus? Have you experienced the washing that Jesus is talking about when He says, you've been completely cleaned? Because if not, that's your first step. It's coming to Christ, confessing and repenting of your sins, inviting Him into your life, 
And it's that new birth that you can experience. It's the picture you're going to see in a few moments as people come and are baptized. And you're going to get to see and hear part of their story and the difference that Christ has made in their lives. And then you're going to see that picture of death and resurrection as they go under the water and they come back out. It's them relating to Christ and showing you what has happened in their spirit. That's where we have to start. And I just want to challenge you that if you haven't done that this morning, this is the time to do it. Tim and Joni are going to be up front here at the end of service. They're going to be available to you to talk to you. They lead our next steps ministry, and they can help you not only know how to come to Christ, but what are some of your next steps? How do you do that? How do you begin to follow him? I'll be up front as well. I'd love to pray and talk with you. Second question I want you to ponder is this. If you have been washed like that, if you have come to know Christ, are you being washed daily? Are you experiencing that picture of new life, of renewal, of that constant ongoing renewing, the sanctification? Are you allowing God's Word to wash you on a daily basis? Are you continually reading His Word and allowing the Holy Spirit to renew you? See, this is where it gets tough for us. Because we've said the same thing every week of this series. And I've even heard some of you say, you're saying the same thing. Yeah, we are. I'm not sure if you're hearing it yet. I'm not sure I'm fully hearing it yet. This is the, some of what God's working on in me. But I've got to ask you, and I've got to wonder, why is it that we will go so long in between reading things from God's Scripture and allowing His Word to speak into our lives when we don't put that into practice in any other place in our life? None of you will go for weeks or months without eating or drinking because it's not healthy for you. Right? I looked around the room. Most of us aren't going weeks or months without eating. Most of you are not going to go weeks or months without spending time in relationship to the people who are closest to you. You're going to talk to them and interact with them and be with them because it's important. The relationship doesn't work if you don't communicate. You're not going to spend weeks or months going without taking a bath. At least I hope not. I don't smell any of you from up here, so I guess we're okay. So why do we go that long without spending time in God's Word? Why do we go that long without allowing Him to renew us and cleanse us and wash us like we need every single day? God has wired me to be a challenger. That's what I do best. In fact, I tease people all the time that I wish He would have put that in the spiritual gifts because I think my real spiritual gift was challenge. You know, my love language is violence. I love to beat on people to love them and show them. But here's what I would say to you, and it's the same conversation that I not only have with my kids, but I have with a lot of people all the time. It's the same conversation I have with me all the time. Quit making excuses. Quit justifying the poor choices that you're making because you're not doing the things you know you need to do. Because we're great at that. Whether kids or adults, that's exactly what we do. When somebody calls us on the carpet and they point out something in us that we know is wrong, that we know we need to do better, after we know we need to change, we make up every reason in the book of why it's okay what we're doing and why we don't really need to do that. And half the time the problem is the arguments with us. It's us justifying within ourselves why we're not spending time in God's Word, why we're not allowing it to wash us and cleanse us like He's saying it will. Why do we keep going back to the same old broken down stale water cisterns when He's giving us fresh spring water to take in and to wash us and to cleanse us.
We simply ask you to allow Him to wash your feet, to wash that dirt that you pick up day in and day out as you do life, as you experience life, as you walk in the world. None of us are perfect. None of us are going to be perfect. We need that constant daily renewal and cleansing in our lives. But that only happens if you allow it to happen. So as the band plays in a moment, I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to invite you to respond however God leads you. For some of you, you need to take that first step to come in and receive Christ. And I would encourage you, please come forward and do that. Talk to Tim and Joni. Talk to me. Let us pray with you and talk to you about what it looks like and how to start that. But for some of you, maybe you need to come pray, and that's fine. Come do that. Maybe you need to go get accountability. Ask somebody to hold you accountable to start spending time in His Word and allowing it to cleanse you. Some of you maybe just need to sit where you are as everybody else stands to sing and pull out your phone or your device and look at your calendar and talk about where you're going to put it in so that you make it a priority to spend time in His Word. We face this ongoing problem in our culture today of God is one of many things for us. Our relationship with Christ is no longer our priority because we've allowed everything else to crowd it out. And guess what? It hasn't changed just in today's culture because it's the same thing Jeremiah was saying in the Old Testament to the people of Israel. You're going after these idols instead of following after the one true God, the fresh living water, that spring that's there for you. So make the choice today to begin that journey differently, to allow Him to speak to your heart, to allow Him to point out that dirt that's in your life and to begin to wash you and cleanse you and wash your feet so that you can stand clean before Him. Let's pray, and then you respond as the band sings. God, I just thank You for this morning. I thank You that You're still speaking to our hearts. I thank You that You love us enough to point out these things in our hearts that need cleansing, that You love us enough to wash our feet continually and to walk with us on this journey, that even though You have justified us, You've redeemed our spirits, God, that You are walking with us day in and day out, to redeem our soul and to help change the way we think and to change the things that we feel and to change our emotions and help us to draw closer to You each and every day. God, right now I just pray that You would move, that You would convict hearts as they need convicting, that You would encourage those who need encouraged, and that most importantly, You would give us the courage and the strength to respond as You call us. Thank You for loving us. Thank You for walking with us. Help us to walk with you day in and day out. In your name we pray. Amen.